Hello, and welcome back to the Wyoming Colorado Springs podcast. Today we have Derek and Chloe Mack again from Circuit Riders in Huntington Beach, California. Today they'll be continuing to talk about freedom and identity in Christ. Let's jump right in. Okay, story time. So a little bit about growing up for me. My dad was in business. I mentioned this yesterday. He worked for a company called Boston Scientific. And what Boston Scientific does is they make medical devices that they use in hospitals for surgery. And they specialize in like kidney stone stuff or little, I don't know, little contraptions. If everybody's ever got surgery and they use a special tool, you can probably guess Boston Scientific makes it. So my dad was extremely successful salesman. And he would go to, what you have to do, this is a crazy job. You'd go to a hospital, cold turkey, and you would say, hey, I'm here for surgery. You would get dressed up. You would go into surgery room with a doctor and you would show them the new devices, and they would try it out on you as you're getting surgery. So my dad was extremely successful, very driven guy. And um, my mom, she was, she was sick with Lyme's disease. And so she was kind of stay-at-home mom vibes, but super in love with Jesus. And she, I'll tell more of her story when we do our little women's gathering, but... Um, Anyway, my mom provoked my dad into wildness. And so they decide together as a couple uh, that they're going to move across the street from a university and start doing ministry part-time as my dad's a business guy. And so my dad, he moves across the street in Washington uh, to a school called Pacific Lutheran, PLU. And he decides to do an evangelistic event. And so he gathers his buddies. They plan this event. And a whole bunch of students come and get saved. And my dad did not know where to plug in these university students because the nearby churches were a lot of old, older senior citizens. And so he said, okay, I guess I'll start a church. So he starts a church with all these people that just got saved. And like I said yesterday, my dad didn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, but just like when you get a whole bunch of new converts in a room, some demons are bound to come out and some stuff's bound to happen. So my dad uh, basically encounters revival firsthand. The Lord leads him to give up business and become a pastor. So growing up, I grew up a PK. Is there any other PKs in the room? Wow. Dang. Crazy. We'll do trauma therapy for you later. No, I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> just joking. I'm just joking. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, so my dad becomes a pastor, and our church becomes pretty successful. Lots of young people. We did it Saturday nights. It was a vibe. And my dad goes on church salary. As we get older, the church becomes more successful. We start living the classic Western church vibe life. We got given a, like, $1.2 million house on the water, on the Puget Sound in Washington. We were not suffering. Life was very easy. Church was very cool. It was all great. So one day, say one day, I um, have a dream, and I have, I get dreams a lot from the Lord. And so as a young kid, I would get them and always tell my parents what's going on. So I go, hey, mom, dad, I have a dream that we got kicked out of our house and we, we set up a tent in the backyard and we were living in the backyard. And my parents were like, what does that mean? God just gave us this $1.2 million house. So put that in your pocket while we're here. My dad, who knows Reinhard Bonnke? Okay, if you don't know Reinhard Bonnke, he was an evangelist in Africa from Germany. 
incredible storyline that I don't have time to go into, but he saw 80 million people saved in his lifetime. He did huge crusades with loads of fruit. Insanity. So Reinhard Bonnke was my dad's absolute hero because my dad was such an evangelist. And Reinhard's having this uh, evangelist gathering. And my dad kind of had some connection and was like, hey, swoop me in this gathering. I want to go see Reinhard Bonnke. So my dad and mom, they go to Reinhard Bonnke's evangelist gathering, and he's just a normal local pastor, okay? And uh, they're having their first day, and Reinhard's assistant, uh, his name is Peter, comes up to my dad and points at him and goes, you, sir, when is the last time you did something preposterous for Jesus? When is the last time you had preposterous faith? You know, my dad's like, uh. I don't know, you know, whatever, goes to the donut table, eats a few donuts. Then moments later, Reinhard Bonke comes up to my dad. Same exact sentences. You, sir, when is the last time you did something preposterous? Are you on a church salary? My dad goes out to the car with my mom, begins travailing, weeping, crying out to Jesus, going, I don't want to live a normal life. I want to do something preposterous for Jesus. So my dad, what ends up happening, he goes back to our church. He stirs up so much wildness that uh, it just, he wasn't fitting in in the church model anymore. He had to go. So we left church life. We left church salary. And with a, like, I think $800 a month, my parents joined YWAM. So we left a million-dollar home, all our possessions, sold everything, and we joined YWAM. And Circuit Riders is born and all the good stuff. I tell this story because... When Reinhardt and this guy Peter go, when's the last time you did something preposterous? When is the last time you did something preposterous with faith? A lot of times in Christianity, you can have an amazing Christian life. You can go about your stuff. You can be in love with Jesus, but you can live extremely comfortable, especially in the West. You don't have to do anything that preposterous. You don't have to do anything that requires that much faith. You can live in your nice little four-walled, building your bubble, have your quiet time, and still go to heaven and have a great eternity. But what we're going to talk about for the next 15-ish minutes is faith. Say faith. We're going to talk about faith and the cancer of unbelief. Say unbelief. Very good. I'm going to pull up. Do you guys want to hear a crazy story? I was once in Singapore on a ministry trip. And I felt like this lady was highlighted to me. And we were at a ministry place. And I point at her and I go, God has not made you. I had a vision of her as a librarian. And I thought it was symbolic. I go, God's not made you to be some boring librarian. God's calling you to missions. God's calling you this and that. Turns out the lady literally ran a library. It was so offensive that I called her out that way. But um, I don't know what happened to her. That's just, that's just all I'm saying. You texted it? I'll take the phone back. We're good? Okay. Would you guys open up that PDF? And we're going to read some things together out loud. But I'm first going to read this verse, Hebrews 11.6. Do we got the PDF? I'm pulling it up. Oh, no. There you go. Got it? Okay. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who 
earnestly seek him. Say this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That is so offensive. It is impossible. Say impossible. The opposite of faith is unbelief. So with unbelief, it is impossible to please God. Do we have the PDF? Can we begin reading together? We're just going to read out loud these blue things. Ready? Where it says faith is saying to God. Here we go. Faith is saying to God, I trust you. I implicitly trust you. Faith is taking God at his word. Are we, are we all here? No? It's page, there's like a little number 36 there. There's a brown box on it. All right, do we got it now? Let's start over with faith is saying. Faith is saying to God, I trust you. I implicitly trust you. Faith is taking God at his word. Faith is not being moved by circumstances, feelings, or opinions. Faith believes God and God alone. Faith gets out of the boat and does not sink because faith does not look at the wind and the waves and the tempest. Faith is a looking straight in the eyes of Jesus. Jesus, I trust you at your word. It is absolutely true. I'm going to read. Biblical faith is about stepping out of safety, lethargy, indifference, fear, and security. If you are following Jesus, expect to be kicked far away from these things. Unbelief seems harmless enough to most Christians. It's just an innocent flaw, isn't it? We consider it a matter of practicality, caution, or prudence. Have you ever met the guy that's like, you share your dream from God, and they come back at you being like, hmm, I think we need to just use a little wisdom on that. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Tell your family, like, I'm going to be in missions. I'm living by faith. And it's like, I love that for you, but we need a little wisdom. I, do you know what I'm talking about? It's unbelief. Okay, we're going to keep going. Unbelief, uh, in fact, unbelief fearfully and at times stubbornly doubts the word, the work, and the character of God. It expresses those doubts in both word and action. It asserts that we have a better gauge on reality than God does. It gives preeminence to our own assumptions, presumptions, and fears. I'm going to read this last one again. Where, where it's highlighted, let's read this together. It asserts. Ready? It asserts that we have a better gauge on reality than God does. It gives preeminence to our own assumptions, presumptions, and fears. Isn't that so good? Consider some of the characteristics of unbelief. Are we ready? Symptoms. Here we go. It makes up its own mind. If, if this resonates with you, we'll do the same thing. Give a little something. It makes up its own mind about what God can and can't do, what he will or won't do, and how he does or doesn't operate. Finds its own methods of accomplishing God's business, both personally and corporately. It looks inward instead of upward. As Jim Simbala writes in Fresh Faith, unbelief talks to itself instead of talking to God. Right? How many of you guys have been in an unbelief frenzy? And you're talking to all your friends about how something's not going to work out. There's just so much stress, so much anxiety. And you never take it to prayer and talk to God. 
Even though it may be deeply hidden, unbelief never goes unseen or unnoticed. The scripture makes it clear that great faith moves the heart of God. Large faith believes God and acts accordingly. Large faith renders nothing is impossible with God and has the potential to move mountains. Jesus said without it, as we are reminded in Hebrews 11:6, it's absolutely impossible to please God. Where it says unbelief fears, let's read that. Unbelief fears God doesn't, God can't, God won't. Let's try that again. Unbelief fears God doesn't, God can't, God won't. Faith believes God does God can, God will. I want to share something really briefly here. Like I said, I grew up with my mom having neurological stage four Lyme's disease. If you don't know what that's like, it's bedriddenness. My mom was not able to drive a car. She forgot things all the time. You would tell her about your day, and two minutes later, she'd be like, tell me about your day. Her mind was absolutely affected. She was not there seizures. She'd have multiple seizures every day. It was super intense. And literally, if you watch some of our home videos, I'm like four or five years old, and my dad would be like, Chloe, tell us what's going on. And I'd run up to the camera. This is literal, real. And I go, mom is going to get healed. We're going to see mom healed. My dad pushed us to live in an environment of radical faith. All the while, my dad also was struggling with an autoimmune condition. And so you got to imagine in my household, maybe some of you grew up in a household where you care took for your parents, there was great reason to have unbelief. I would take my mom as I got older, as a teenager, I became one of her main caretakers. I'd take her to her doctors. They'd do the little brain scan. I'd see how much brain damage she had from her illness. Just everything, all the treatments, nothing was working. It was crazy. And I would have leaders come up to me in life, and they would go, Oh, Chloe, you just need to let it all out. You just need to let it out to God. You just need to, you just need to get in your car and ask him why. Let out that rage. Let, you know, let the cap off. And they would encourage me to, like, cry my guts out and, and you know, get mad because that's what they assumed I should do in an atmosphere of suffering, that I should give way, weep it out, cry it out, be an absolute mess. But I had this inner conviction because I watched my dad live in such unwavering faith that no matter what obstacle, what suffering God put me in, my joy would come from me being in an attitude of faith, right? So we're standing, are we tracking? Can we stay, can we stay here for just one more second? So I'm standing at the send. I had been, seen my mom sick my whole life. And Everybody and their mom prayed for my mom. It was crazy. Every cool guy in the world. And we're standing at the sand. Bill Johnson had already prayed for my mom once in life. We're at the side of the stage. There's 15 minutes left to the night. And my dad goes, hey, let's get Bill Johnson to pray for your mom. So Bill comes over. He doesn't even lay a hand on my mom and goes, Lyme's disease is no big deal for Jesus. And my mom gets completely healed in a second. Amazing. Question? Uh, Christy Brent. Yeah, she spoke at the flood. Yeah, 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 that's my mom. Yes. That's my mom. And then on the other side, the flip side, okay, guys? We're going to get raw and vulnerable here because God will require such faith from you. It will feel unfair sometimes. 
but you got to stay in a place of faith. So my dad is sick with autoimmune disease, super rare one. I don't even bother to say the name. And he was always hard charging in life. I never saw him take a break, never saw him rest. He just was driven for what the Lord called him to do. So as some of you guys know, my dad, he started struggling with a hip infection. And because my dad had an autoimmune condition and was on so many um, steroids, it suppressed his immune system. So he wasn't able to fight off this infection. It goes for months and months. And I would visit my dad in the hospital, and he would lay in his bed in 9 out of 10 excruciating pain. Sometimes he would black out from pain. And you know what my dad would do in his hospital bed? He would text every young person he knew and encourage them. He'd send out prophetic words. We would intercede together for all sorts of stuff. He never focused on himself. Fast forward, he falls into a coma. We're standing next to his deathbed. And I find God requiring of me the same faith that I needed to have for my mom to be healed. He was requiring me the same faith that life was going to work out, that he was there with me in my dad's passing. I say all this because you will face crazy stuff if you join missions. You will face wild things in life. And the only way to make it through is preposterous faith. God is good. God is who he says he is. Not for a moment since my dad has died have I ever even had the inclination to ask God, why would you do this? Are you really as good as you say you are? Why? Because I'm standing in faith who he said he is. So can we read a little more? I lost my page. Okay, go to the other page he sent you where it says the culture of faith is the culture of the Bible. And can you turn to your neighbor and read this page together with them for the next two minutes? Okay, guys, let's keep going. If you didn't read it all, you definitely get the idea, don't we? Don't worry. This is all going to pertain to you real quick here. I'm going to... Are you guys cool if I keep reading a few things? I know reading's not, you know, er. Okay. Um, repenting of unbelief and walking in faith. I'm going to read a few of these. I will renounce fear and doubt and replace it with faith and confidence in the word, character, and power of God. I will not live only by what I see and understand with my natural senses, but according to the word, works, and revealed promises of God. I will always seek to honor him, not to dishonor him, and those who are seeking to walk in obedience in large faith. Listen, I want to hit you with one more sad story. Can we do one more sad? Sad story, ready? <laughs> so my dad passes away, and I'm sitting in the car with Derek, and I go, let's ask the Lord what is the best way for us to grieve. And my dad and I were having this conversation about me getting pregnant before he passed away. And so we take it to prayer, and God goes, get, get pregnant keep the legacy going, you know, pump it up. So I'm like, Derek, we're getting pregnant. For <laughs> That was exactly how God said it. And the Lord confirmed it like three, four times. It was incredible. Anyway, fast forward. I get pregnant a month and a half after my dad passes away. Then we find out, you know, we're pumped. I'm eating all the pickles in the world and everything's great and dandy. We go to the doctor's office. They do a scan. Sorry, we don't see a baby in there anymore. Something has happened. And I have a miscarriage. Sorry, boys, if this makes you uncomfortable. But we're talking about a principle here. So I 
felt for sure. I had not one doubt in my mind that God led me to get pregnant. Not one doubt. Like he told me, I'll stand on it right now. And God would be like, high five. I did tell you that. But it did not turn out the way that I was hoping. Some of you might be going in a deep theological dive here. Why do bad things happen? We're not going there. But I want to emphasize this. I will not live only by what I see and understand with my natural senses, but according to the word, words, and revealed promises of God. So I go through miscarriage right after my dad dies. Imagine the grief and the open door for being pissed at God. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Everything wrong could go wrong, did go wrong. And I find myself so many, I cried. Guys, there's real sorrow. There's real bumness in all of this. Grief is like you're just going to go through it. But I find myself people asking the question, aren't you mad at God? And I stand with joy and go, God told me to get pregnant. I don't know why it turned out the way it did, but I'm really grateful for that little life that I got to, to encounter. I'm grateful that Jesus was with me in that. I'm grateful to have gone through it with Derek. Do you get what I'm saying? Now for you guys, and we're going to end here and pray. I made this kind of more about suffering, but I want you guys to think about how you view the Lord wanting to use you and use your life. How big are you dreaming for the Lord to use you? Or have you put him and your dreams in some little box that have to do with what you think you are capable of doing? God is pushing all of you to push the walls of the box down and say, I will stand in great faith. I bet if I anonymously read your journals, they would be full of some crazy promises from the Lord. Can anybody attest to that? I know some of you girls go home in your dorm and you write like, I will end sex trafficking. I will do this. I will do that. And then we show up to class and we pretend as if God can't use us. Or you need to be more qualified to be used. Or maybe if you just did things a little better, then God would use you. Or maybe if your past wasn't the way it was, then God will use you. Are you tracking with me? Um, I have zero doubt. Zero doubt. I say this in many different rooms that I get to speak in. I have zero doubt that some of you would have the solution to human trafficking if you would say yes to it and believe for it. Here's why I can say that with such confidence. Because 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to the heart that to it's totally his. Now, oftentimes we ponder this boring God who's in heaven yawning right now, and he's this big stoic being. But right now, like, like right now, God is peering over the balconies of heaven. He's not looking at the Rockies, and he's not looking at the Eiffel Tower, and he's not looking at the grandiose buildings that we can build. His eyes are staring at this room right here, Colorado Springs. And he's got his eyes on you with one question. Is that amazing to you? That God's eyes are not focused on something else. He's focused on you with one question. Will you give your whole heart? Now we think of that as like a gospel sermon. If you want to give your heart, come up here. Let's cry together. The Bible talks about you giving your heart to Jesus so that he could use you and give strong support to the one whose heart is totally his, who would fully give it. Do you want that, though? 
I want you to ponder this just for a second. What do you want your life to look like at the end of your days? Just over the last two days, I know we wrote about it at the beginning. You've got a lot of life to live, most of you. And boring Western Christianity probably isn't going to cut it in about a year, two years, ten years. It's not going to cut it. And so do the question for you today is not just will you believe for God to use you, but do you want him to use you? And in that, sex trafficking could end it could get ended. Uh, An unreached people group in the Middle East somewhere could be reached because you decided, I'm going to go, and I know the Lord's going to give strong support for me. And go down the list of all the things that you could have on your heart that God wants to use you for. Your calling's not so small. How many of you want to be moms in here? Do you want to raise generals? And do you want to raise women, men of God, who would be more radical than you, well, then they got to see in your life that, that you believe that Jesus wants to use you. How many of you want to be dads in here? How many of you want to give them a different experience than what you learned and saw when you were growing up? Okay. So then today you've got to decide, I want to be used, and I'm going to believe that you're going to use me. So we're going to agree on a few things. There was one time I was at a circuit rider school in Denver, actually, and a young man came in who was totally blind. And so we're praying for healing, and I'm praying for him with a group of people, and I pray, Lord, if it's your will, would you heal him? And God, I'm going to do a 40-day fast for this man to get healed. And you know what happened? In the middle of my strange prayer, God totally healed this guy. I've never seen anything like it. He looks up, and he grabs my face. And he goes, I can see you. And he started grabbing all of our faces. Homeboy ran to the bathroom, looked in the mirror, and saw himself for the first time. He ran on the stage to meet his pastor uh, face-to-face for the first time. God was totally gracious towards my unbelief, but he wasn't looking at my works or all the nice things I could do to see this guy healed. He just wanted to use me in my weakness right then, right? So can we agree on these? If you agree with what we're about to do, we're going to, uh, I want you to stand up. Are we ready? Well, no, no, don't stand up until you, until you hear the. Here, we're going to do three of them. If you agree with the first one and all of them, you stay up. Um, I will learn to hear God's voice and act on it immediately. I will step out boldly in faith to minister in ways that Jesus did. I will live above my emotions, my circumstancing, trusting. Sorry, guys. I will live above my emotions and circumstances, trusting fully in God to provide for, to protect, and empower me. Amen? Can we pray these things out? Ready? Jesus, I believe that you can, that you do, and that you will. Work on my behalf. I cast out every agreement with unbelief that you don't want to, that you can't, that you won't move. Lord, I receive your forgiveness. I rebuke unbelief out of my life, out of my ministry, out of my dreaming. This is the last thing we're going to get out. 
is some of you feel this and some of you don't. Any way that a spiritual leader has looked at your life and made you feel dumb for believing what God has spoken to you to do. Anything at home, any family member, whatever, elder that said, eh, it's too much. We are going to break that off your life. So if that resonates with you, would you raise your hands? Awesome. Yeah, raise it nice and high. If you're around him, just lay your hand on him. We're going to pray this out. Guys, raising your hand, repeat after me. In Jesus' name, I repent for any way I've partnered with the lies of the enemy. I rebuke these lies off my life. I do hear your voice. I am in your will when I'm obeying you. I rebuke religion, unbelief, in Jesus' name. Amen.